you know, it's ultimately the big picture here. It's about sales efficacy, right? Are you, are you getting the dollars out of your sales and marketing effort that you're putting into it? Buyer behavior isn't the same, and the old sales funnel is no longer relevant. So Square 2 is smashing the funnel and encouraging businesses to think differently about their approach to marketing, sales, customer service, and revenue generation. Join us for Season 2 of Smash the Funnel, the podcast. This season, with an amazing lineup of industry experts, will focus on revenue performance measurement and optimization. And now for your host, Mike Lieberman, CEO and Chief Revenue Scientist at Square Two. Hey everyone, welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of Smash the Funnel, the podcast. In Season 2, we're focusing on one of the most challenging aspects of marketing sales today, how to measure sales and marketing performance, and perhaps even more importantly, how to improve and optimize that performance. And I'm thrilled to have a very special guest with me today for episode six, Dion Cornett, CEO at ReachForce. Dion, welcome to the show and, and thanks for joining us. Oh, Mike, really appreciate you having me on the show today. Thank you. No problem at all. So let's jump into it. Um, for those of us, uh, for those of my listeners who might not know ReachForce, tell us a little bit about ReachForce's story and how the company came to be and as we like to talk about on the show, like maybe what your why is, like what really makes, you know, what would make people really um, interested in pursuing some conversations with you guys? Yeah, very simple, high level. What ReachForce is trying to do is clean up and enrich the information that's going to be in our customer sales and marketing databases. And by having sort of a, a clean, um, enriched database, they're able to do smarter marketing, whether it's delivering smarter recommendations or own products, delivering appropriate content or getting into the right sales segmentation. Um, having that information facilitates just better engagement with the customers. And we can talk a little bit more about some of the tactical things that go into that. Excellent. So I'm a CEO. What, what symptoms would my company be experiencing if I had a data problem? How would I know that I need to consider a company like ReachForce? You know, it's ultimately the big picture here. It's about sales efficacy right? Are you, are you getting the dollars out of your sales and marketing effort that you're putting into it? And some of the ways it starts breaking down, you might see conversion rates being lower. You might see campaigns not being as effective in terms of number of prospects that they're generating. You might see um, poor engagement that even impacts the brand, the way that customers are being approached. And so, you know, from a very soft thing like brands, uh, hard things around conversion rates down to a funnel can all be impacted by poor data quality. Mm -hmm. So if I see some of those symptoms and I'm talking to you guys, what are some of the ways you would recommend we start looking at fixing that? Well, it's, it's important to, you know, play a little bit of whack-a-mole, you know, pick sort of the biggest problems first, right? Um, an example might be, do you have form, low form conversion rates as sort of one very tactical example? So most companies spend a lot of money, I mean, even for a small company, it can be millions of dollars on driving people to a website to, to engage with that prospect. And this can be SEO spin, SEM, it can be contact syndication, pay-per-click. And there's a host of things that cost money to build visibility for a company and their solutions. And if you spend that money and you get someone to come to your website and you're not able to convert them into a prospect they can actually be engaged with, then all that money is... You know, and effectively spent. And so an example of one of the things that we do is we'll allow you to better understand who that is coming to your website, make it more likely they, they complete a form and give you more information to have a personalized, timely response 
to that individual coming in. And, and we do this in sort of a, a simple fashion. Um, data is commoditizing, data is proliferating. There's more of it out there all the time. There's literally hundreds of different attributes that might be relevant to a marketing or sales professional and understanding that prospect. And so we partner really with dozens of different data firms. We build this big data platform that aggregates all this. And then we provide a number of tools that allow the customer to interact with this database, whether it's um, comparing to their existing data, again, cleaning up and filling in gaps, whether it's that visitor coming to the website um, who's looking at a form, how do we make that form short so it's less onerous and you get a higher form conversion rates. It might be, I've gone to a trade show and I've got badge scans list to give me first name, last name company, but now what do I do with that? You can run that through a list and append literally 200 attributes to it. Again, give you that personalization way to get a hold of the individual, or you might just want to look into our database yourself and say, Hey, look, I, I care. This is my ideal customer profile. Give me a set of contacts that fit that. But it ultimately it's about the orchestration of a growing base of commoditized data and how does the marketer or sales professional make use of that. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, so help me out with a point. Uh, I used to work at Dun & Bradstreet, right? So obviously big database company and we used to quote this uh, degrade rate, right? And it was really so long ago, I don't actually remember what the actual number is, but I know databases do kind of get old relatively quickly and the data becomes less and less accurate and less and less usable. So do you happen to know like at what rate databases are degrading these days and, and, and how I should think about keeping my, my data accurate and current? Yeah, it's, uh, in, you don't have to take my word for it. There's a lot of good industry research out there by folks like Forrester and Serious Decisions and others that take a look at this problem. And it is a ubiquitous problem. I mean, one thing about the market we're addressing, it ranges from the smallest little companies to big Fortune 100 firms. And, and across that spectrum, it's, it's fairly consistent. Anywhere from two and a half to 3% of the data in the database is decaying and going bad in a given month. And so potentially over the course of a year, a third of your data may be bad. And it's right. from at a corporate level, you know, reorganizations and mergers and consolidations sure. and bankruptcies. And then at a people level, it's just the fact that people take new jobs. And uh, in some ways, you know, people's longevity of the company is getting shorter. And so this is a problem that probably only gets worse over time. Yeah, I think this is also even more of an issue these days when companies are looking at some more active measures from a marketing perspective, like account-based marketing, for example, right? If you're arming the salespeople with prospect data and it's old or inaccurate, they're going to be wasting a lot of time trying to connect with either the wrong people or spending a lot of time inefficiently trying to connect with people who either aren't there anymore or they don't have the right contact information. And now your, your, your uh, highly anticipated ABM campaign gets off to a really slow or, or even no start. And people are wondering, well, what, what did we invest in? You know, what, why are we doing this? And um, kind of leads me to my next question is, a lot of people, at least in my experience, and you know, correct me if you have some different experiences, but they don't really think of data as an issue. You know, when we start talking to them about campaigns, when we start talking to them about their marketing, it's almost as if the data is just this, this, this uh, part of the strategy that is like just, just there, right? And there's, there's very rarely any conversations about 
is the data accurate? Is the data clean? You know, most of our clients show up and like, here's, here's my database. Let's get started. They don't, they're not really prepared to have a data conversation, whether it's append or clean or, or, or uh, add in additional elements to, to make the data richer. How do you help people kind of get over that when they're, they're not really expecting to have a, either an investment in data or the time and energy required to get the data ready for the campaign piece of it? You know, Mike, it's interesting. We encounter a few different views of that when we're out talking to, you know, our customers in the market. Um, you know, first, going back to sort of some of the industry stats, according to Serious Decision, 30% of most companies do not touch their database, make any type of quality effort in the course of a year. Right. And it's, uh, it's a very small percentage, that, um, less than 5%, they're looking to do something at least on a weekly basis in terms of maintaining that clean. And when we ask people about this, you know, intuitively people understand, all right, you know, people move on and companies merge and go out of business. My data may not be cleanest, but I think there's been sort of a little bit of a historical view that, you know, it's just the way it is. These are the cards I'm dealt and I'll just make everything else work well with this sort of handicap around my data. And so it's sort of, you know, what am I going to do about it kind of attitude. There's, there's other folks that say, all right, um, we appreciate that there's some work to be done here. But, you know, it sort of runs in the background and becomes sort of a prioritization. And it, it's not something that, you know, it shows up right away, right? It's a pain point that lots of times, you know, cancer growing inside me, you don't even know you have till the problem becomes hyperacute. And so part of it is just, you know, we encourage people to do A-B testing and various elements as an example of this. And so part of it is just sort of understanding the value that can be had by having quality data. It's not the hand that's dealt. There's a lot of tools and technologies to facilitate improvements that may not have been even available five years ago. And, and once people sort of get that extra layer of understanding, it's, uh, it's generally something that people do prioritize to get addressed. Yeah, that kind of brings me to my next point, which is, you know, understanding the ROI associated with investing in, in some of the data tools and services that you guys provide. So how do you help you know, CEOs or even marketing or sales executives understand the ROI behind investing in starting with really good data, either cleaner data or richer data. How, how does you help them understand the performance of their campaigns are going to be enhanced dramatically by getting the data right in the first place? You know, what, you know I'll walk you then through a tactical example. It's very easy to understand. But if you, if you ask most people, hey, what's your form conversion rate? meaning for every 100 people you show a landing page to, how many people will actually start completing that form? Um, first of all, you're going to find there's a, there's a huge swath of markers that don't even know that very rudimentary metric, right? They're like, oh, gosh, we don't know how much we're spending, you know, how much is getting converted. And then you ask the question, well, how much did you spend to get someone to that landing page? And that number is typically in the millions. And then I'll just say from experience working with through, you know, through our customer base, where they started, where we get them to, it's not atypical for a company to have form abandonment rates um, higher than 80%, meaning that you know, four out of five people they show a form to are just clicking right by it, and you're not able to have that engaging relationship. And so if we can shorten it, and lots of times that's because a form is long and ar arduous, if we can shorten that form down and we can get more people to complete that form, then they might see that conversion rate go from – 20% to 30%. And, you know, in some of our cases, customers have done much better than that. But you think, oh, okay, 
a 10% improvement from 20%, 30%. Okay, that's nice. But when you put it in the framework of it's 50% more contacts you have to engage with, that means that literally even for a small company, those millions of dollars you spent on your digital marketing spend is now 50% more efficient. And the, and the cost relative to that form solution is literally nominal, right? You can start getting form solutions for 6K. Mm -hmm. So, and we can go through similar type analysis, um, looking at their funnel and conversion rates when it comes to the overall database. We can look at what's their the efficiency of going to trade shows if they, if they don't have complete information beyond the badge scan on that. We can look at their syndicated content percentage. But it, it, there really is a tremendous amount of leverage and a very small amount of spend on data quality can have very big impact on the actual closed deals that drop out the bottom. And just to be a little more specific on your example of the landing page and the form, you're saying that with an investment in data, I can have a much better understanding of who the person who's visiting that page is and either fill in some of those fields for them like we do with our clients, some progressive profiling or some smart, smart fields. We can fill that in for them because we have that data on this particular visitor um, and we can give them a better experience. We can remove some of the friction in, in that specific landing page conversion example and, and drive up a higher conversion rate. Is that, do I understand that right. properly? And just the, just the fact that progressive profiling exists speaks to the fact that people appreciate a shorter form gets higher engagement. Imagine right. you go to a website and they ask you for two things, your name and your email. Um, you know, however busy you are, what else you have going on, it just feels much less intrusive. They're not asking me my title, how many employees in my company, where am I based, what country, da, da, da. They're asking me for two simple things and all right, I, I can provide this. But those two simple things without enrichment on the back end, you may not be able to do much with, right? You may approach that, that email in the, in the wrong fashion. So what we'll do is we'll ask for name and an email and then we'll very quickly scroll through 400 million records, combine that with the IP address, and then we'll present a little pop-up to the person on the form and we'll say, hey, um, is this your company and address? And then we provide sort of the top five matches that we have in our database, or they could do none of above and they could just type it in. But if they select one of those top five matches, we then append 200 attributes about that company and that individual. And now you can have a very personalized first touch with them with simply asking for name and email. Hmm, that's interesting. Tell, tell, can you tell us a little more about what some of those personal attributes might look like? Well, let's, let's think about if you're trying to do sales segmentation and you're, uh, you're selling into VMware, mm -hmm. and you know that rolls up to EMC and that rolls up to Dell. You might have a business rule that says, hey, do subsidiaries go to a VMware specific rep or are they going to go to my Dell you know, account executive. And so being able to understand that hierarchy of the organization, how many people, you know, if I'm selling PBXs, I care about how many employees there are at site location. Uh -huh. if I'm selling the ERP solution, I may care about how many employees there are at sort of the global headquarters. Um, attributes across that hierarchy from employee size and proper address for um, old fashioned mail campaigns, obviously email information that individual I engaged with. What does he look like on social media? What's his Twitter handle? You know, even where did he go to school? Right? Maybe some relevancy, a connection for me. Um, and I think what you'll see over time is you'll see people can find correlations between new attributes and success through their sales process. 
And so we've built a platform and we continue to expect the number of attributes that marketers may use in the B2B context will continue to grow. And there'll be all kinds of little things that useful tidbits that provide that more personalized, better experience. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just as an aside here, the B2B space is catching up on this. I, I think the B2C guys have figured this out a long time ago, right? They can deal with sort of data sets on a grand scale, but literally, you know, based on your loyalty card that you use at your grocery store, in the B2C world, a marketer will market to you differently, whether you're a dog owner or a cat owner. Mm-hmm. And so it's develop- really becoming one-to-one. I mean, everything is really becoming a one-to-one, one-to-one exercise. Yeah. So um, developing that same sophistication in the B2B world is what we're trying to help lead. Yeah. And you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but there's a, there's a sales efficiency play in that same conversation, right? Instead of me as the sales rep having to collect that information from a prospect, I have it already. And I can start to tailor my conversations with them based on that information that I, I already have. It's a much different conversation when you know things about people than when you're kind of asking them to just, you know, basically answer a series of questions so I can get to know you. Absolutely. And then again, pulling up some industry stats here, uh, and there's a nice Harvard Business Review study on this. Um, engaging with a customer in, in one hour versus five minutes, you're 30% less likely to get that follow-up meeting. After right. two hours, it drops in the half. And then again, after, you know, um, three days, forget it, right? You're, you're less than 5%. Right. So you're, I, I should ask, are you familiar at all with some of the conversational marketing theories that have been talked about pretty recently and, you know, drift and chat applications? How, how would your data help me if I'm skipping the form and I'm engaging with a prospect on my website and we're having a conversation? Am I... Am I accessing the CRM to, to get that information about them and let them know that I already know this about them or confirm that I already know this about yeah. them? It's a little different, right? Absolutely. I, I don't think it, um, having information is not about showing, hey, how much do I know about you, right? Because that can come off a, a little creepy. Right. But what that information in the CRM can do is it can be an input to the, the chatbot or the AI that says, okay, based on what I know on this person, Am I going to present this piece of collateral or this piece of collateral? Mm-hmm. Right? And, and those kind of rules and the, and the bot figuring out, you know, based on base profile, where do I have the most success is a very natural thing. But it all starts with that data foundation. And it's actually one of the things I like about this space. Um, good, quality data, good quality foundational data tends to support ABM, smart chatbots, mm-hmm. you know, retargeting. There's just a series of vertical expertises that all rely on quality foundation, quality data foundation. And if that data is not there, then all those other efforts are handicapped to some degree. Nice. Well, that's a lot of talk about data. So let's just shift gears a little bit. Tell me what, you know, you're CEO of a fast growing tech company in a very competitive and crowded space. So what do you see as some of the biggest challenges in 2019 when it comes to revenue generation, sales, marketing, or all of the above? Like where do you see the, the biggest challenges uh, in uh, 2019? You know, I think that the, uh, the, the how, how you sell successfully is changing. It, it's sort of like, you know, prospects build an immunity to a certain approach. <laughs> and there's sort of that, you know, the, the next approach that has to work. And I think figuring out those new approaches is a uh, is sort of a big challenge. And, and I've been involved in sales for a long time. I um, had a couple different executive roles at Red Hat. And I think about what we used that was effective in 2005 
um, very different in 2019. And, and I expect that to, if anything, the, uh, the, the change is only accelerating in how you have to sort of take new efforts. And then the other big dynamic is, in, particularly as a tech exec, you look how Amazon sells their cloud business, right? You're, you're just getting away from people. Mm -hmm. high-touch, personalized experience, but it doesn't necessarily involve a salesperson, right? And this means that the integration between sales and marketing has to be tighter than ever. I know this is sort of a worn theme, but that buyer's journey is very different today, right? There's just so much information that the prospect is bringing to that initial conversation. Um, it, it's tough to keep up with that as a, as a vendor. Yes. Uh, great lead into one of my last questions here too, regarding the buyer journey. So, I mean, clearly we have a perspective on this. We wrote a book called Smash the Fawn On where proponents of this eight stage cyclonic buyer journey where the, the prospects really are inundated with content and they're inundated with opinions and perspectives from a wide variety of different places. And they're really in this hurricane of, of, of experiences as they try to make a solid decision. So, when you meet with marketing and sales teams and you talk about the prospect journey, like how are you and, and ReachForce helping your, your customers and, and your prospects understand how they need to look at this buyer journey differently? Well, one of the advantages that we have, we work with a couple hundred different accounts. And so while we won't share any specific information about accounts, sort of best practices in terms of metrics and targets and how things work through, we're able to relay that information and, and again, sort of builds this body of work that um, helps our entire customer base. But it's, it's, I think it's very intuitive. People understand that because of this wealth of information that comes, um, attention spans are very short. That, that first touch has to be very relevant, right? Mm -hmm. Not come off as indifferent because you've made a bad product recommendation, you've delivered inappropriate content, or you've put them in the wrong sales segmentation. You, you've, you've got to have as good understanding up front because your customer has great understanding already of who, of who you are. And if you don't match that, it's just there's too many other options and it's too easy to move on to something else very quickly. Yeah, once they actually engage with any of our companies from a sales perspective, they're pretty far along in that buyer journey. They're pretty well you know, decided uh, the direction that they, they want to go and they're looking for you to take them to – the, the rest of the way there. And it's not, you know, if you blow that, they have a couple of other options ready to go too. So it's kind of easy to mess up if you're not on the ball, if you're not listening really well and asking the right questions and continuing that, that very personal experience that they've been serving themselves, so to speak, right? You know, they don't, they're not, they don't really want to talk to anybody if they can all at all avoid it. And that means they, they are able to create a very personal experience for themselves. Then when they get involved with sales, if that doesn't continue, they're turned off pretty quickly. Yeah. It's, it's about efficiency, right? I, I've got a problem I need to solve. I'm going yeah. to solve the problem efficiently. Yeah. Yeah. This has been really great. So if you're up for it, let's do something fun that a segment right. that I call Two or two, T-W-O or T-O-O. -O. So you've probably done this before. I'm going to give you two words, and you'll pick which one you prefer, like vanilla or chocolate, dog or cat. All right. All right? Okay. Okay. Uh, sales or marketing? Sales. <laughs> okay. Um, agile or waterfall? Agile. Nice. Startups or established companies? Not even close. Startups. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> um, inbound or outbound? Inbound. 
Nice. That's pretty. That's been consistent with all of my uh, guests. So that's cool. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think people would prefer inbound and if you can get that to work, then you're good. And generally I think what I've seen is like, if you're a little, your goals are a little more aggressive or maybe you're a little more impatient. We have to find a way to supplement that inbound some outbound stuff also. But you know, I wonder longer term over aggressive outbound, how that impacts brands. Right? Yeah. I, I think, think it's bad. It, yeah. yeah. It impacts brands badly. And, and again, that's the kind of the like short term thinking and the mistakes that a lot of people make is they're not going to worry about that so much because they think in the short term they'll generate results. But in the long term, it gets harder and harder and harder to cut through the clutter and, and get your message in front of the people you, you want to if you're abused outbound. But yeah, it's an, always I'll an interesting you, I'll give you the word back. Authentic or inauthentic? Yeah, right. Obviously <laughs> authentic. Yeah. Um, iPhone or Android? Uh, yeah, I'm an I'm Android guy. Oh, my okay. Open source stuff, yeah. Nice. Um, Army or Navy? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm a Naval Academy grad. I can't believe you even asked me that one, Mike. Well, I did some <laughs> research. I knew what you were going to say. That's why I put that in there. I don't ask that to everybody. Um, beach or mountains? Beach. Nice. Me too. Um, agency or in-house? Uh, you know, I think there you want a portfolio approach. You yeah. Gotta, uh, there's no one size fits all. And you're, yeah. Both. That's a good answer with me anyway, so right. I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> um, no, it's a sincere one, too. You, yeah, yeah, you nice. You not know anything, right? There's, there's a meritocracy of ideas concept that if you're trying to, you know, everything in IH, you're, you're losing. Yeah, I, I do think sometimes with the complexity that we've been talking a lot about and the, you know, the, the, the very personal buyer journey that you have to create, sometimes an agency can bring a lot more experiences to the table than maybe the mm-hmm. – in-house team, you know, even if the in-house team is is kind of well-traveled and they've been maybe with three or four different companies, when you have an agency that's done that work, you're looking at maybe hundreds of different experiences. So um, I kind of agree that in a lot of cases, you need a nice blend of both. Um, but, you know, the more complicated this gets, I think the more valuable the agencies can be. But I appreciate your perspective. Yep. Dion, thanks for being on the show. You were a great guest. In this episode, we talked about how everything starts with data and bad data generally produces poor revenue results. And we've been really honored to have uh, uh, Dion Cornette, the CEO at ReachForce, join us. In our next episode, we're going to talk about exploring ROI on investments in sales and marketing with Mitch Rose. He's the senior VP of sales at Build Trust. They're a financial software company. And we're going to talk to Mitch about how to set some realistic expectations around ROI, how to track ROI and how to make sure you're continuously improving to uh, 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 push ROI up on sales and marketing and investment. So, Dion, again, thank you so much for joining us. You've been a great guest. Um, Let's go smash your funnel. All right. Thank you, Mike.